episode number two of Knockout Ginger with Andrew Furlong, bass player, improviser, organizer, curator, force, rad dude. We're going to talk about it. Email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com. F all the haters. just kind of thought like i was playing so much uh-huh. and i thought like if this is how this is gonna go i'm staying Yours, here yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then i guess people got bored or something that's an interesting time i guess the end of the summer is usually better but often the summer here in my experience has been kind of like a wasteland where the least is going on so you had an opposite experience yeah might have just been the excitement of me not being here for a while yeah and then people were like, oh, right, that's what he sounds like. <laughs> Next. <laughs> well, you're playing with, who are you, you're playing with Josh on, uh, Josh Cole on Tuesday, right? The bass player. Yes. Yeah. Two I weeks about for that. the week from. Yeah, two, that's why I messed that up. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing duo. And uh, I really should know who's playing after us. I saw it. It was... Um... There's a band with Karen and Brody, and Josh Cole is playing again, and uh, uh, I should know this, but whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah, some people. This is also the problem without with not being on Facebook. I can't keep track of anything. I yeah. miss a lot of gigs that I want to see. Are you uh, subscribed to the sound list? No. Is that no. Peter Goff? He or, yeah he's one of him and uh, a couple other people. They're seeking. It's at the top of every sound list now. There's a couple paragraphs of seeking, uh, like a new assistant director or something. Like they need more people to be sending out these emails. But it's him and uh, Peter and uh, Famid, Nibesh, and maybe two other people. But it's been I've been subscribed to it for probably five years now, and I've. It always says the person's name who kind of edited that one or whatever and sent it out. And I've seen like 30 different names in that time. So people, various people have run it. But it, it started up, I think, at York University. It's like part of the York program just for a listing for like experimental music. And that along with Joe Strutt's blog are probably the two ways when I wasn't on Facebook that I was able to keep up with, with shows. Because Joe compiles... I think mostly from Facebook and maybe Soundlist a little bit, the, the gigs that he's going to go to at least, and then whatever other ones are going on, you know. Man, Joe is a beast. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk about him the whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> he put out an album. He put out more music this year than most full-time musicians. <laughs> that's great. I got. Or it feels it. like he's putting out a tape every six months. I don't know if that's actually true. I should take that back, but it feels like he's quite, it's very productive. It's crazy. The backbone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a workaholic. Uh, what What was the last thing you listened to? Uh, I was listening to The Replacements before you got here. Nice. Let it be. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. I um, I can't imagine I'll ever stop loving them. 
Um, I don't know much about them at all. Where are they from? Minneapolis. Yeah. They're, um, I actually just a little while ago was watching some interviews when they were, they were kind of like on MTV a little bit. Um, like I guess at that late eighties period when MTV was, would interview bands like this. And, um, they have these great like Midwestern accents. Like it's, it's clear that they're not from anywhere cool at all, (laughs) (laughs) but they're, um, but the, I I think it's with Paul Westerberg, this main songwriter and the bass player and the bass player is wearing like this, I think bright red suit, like this super spunky kind of bright colors. And he's got spiked up hair and it's like, they're total rock stars, but they have these like goofy kind of Midwestern accents. Yeah. Yeah. I think Prince is from Minneapolis too. Yeah. Right about that. Yeah. Yeah. So much good music from Minneapolis. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who's Kurdu? I mean, there must be others. The bad plus. That's right. That's right. Uh, there's definitely more. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Morrissey. Hmm. Yeah, I always, I was getting into this with um, talking about people from Detroit. Just like an hour ago, when you when you start listing people that are from these sort of places where you maybe wouldn't expect. But I guess if you're an American, you have some semblance of what, like each of these cities actually is, and maybe, maybe it's not as surprising. But like techno, for example, was kind of birthed in Detroit. What? And like obviously Jay Dilla is from Detroit, yeah. like you know Motown. Yeah, I associate like when you say Detroit, I say, I think uh, Motown, Dilla, and Paul Chambers. Yeah, right. It's like the end of my... Yeah. Well, I think also um, Elvin Jones. I think the Jones family are from maybe from Pontiac, Michigan or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Ron Carter is from Detroit. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Chambers and Ron Carter. Same thing. Uh, I think they might have gone to the same high school. I, I remember reading about Cass Tech cast tech in detroit and i think that they maybe both don't quote me on that <laughs> i uh i read the ron carter book finding oh the finding, the right finding the right notes yeah i wanted to order it but it was sold out on amazon uh pretty good book yeah like i just tore through it but i also don't remember any of this stuff so uh-huh. maybe maybe i didn't even read it i don't know yeah right <laughs> i yeah i kind of feel the same way whenever i I go through phases and I just like listen to a lot of the same people and I like try to read all the books, but I, I think I like rush sometimes. Mm. I don't know. I, I personally feel like in the, the last five years, my ability to remember personnel, like on albums, album names, things I've read in books, like that's just gone downhill. I, like around the same time I stopped smoking weed every day is the time that my memory just descended into a kind of everything yeah. is nebulous now. I don't yeah. know what that is. They start to blend together. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I felt like I used to be one of these people that could list like rattle off, you know, 
yeah, this album, this person, they're also on this album, but yeah. maybe, I don't know, maybe also going to jazz school just killed any enjoyment I got out of that, and I stopped really thinking about it. Yeah. I find I, maybe a big part is like knowing that you can just punch it into your phone and figure it out. Yeah, I think so. Like, I can't remember when my parents go out of town and I have to feed the dogs. <laughs> I can't remember how to, like they leave and i'm like wait which one do i give to who <laughs> when i didn't do it like yeah maybe grandpa's little helper <laughs> which one to use the mailman <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's yeah like maybe information there's... that i don't need just goes away yeah maybe well and maybe that's not a bad thing maybe maybe uh like my brain could be better better used than to just memorize like years that blue note albums came out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true uh, yeah i don't know it's tough to like i don't use things and they go away but like i've i've done jazz school twice now mm-hmm. and i still don't know chord scale relationships like, <laughs> i was thinking about that today too it's like, like reading these like slash chords having to figure out every single one yeah like and there was a time there were there were two different times in my life where that was like right at my fingertips and I get like the knives were sh- the knives were sharp and the knives were hot and I could do all that crap. You don't, don't use it, you lose it. Use it. You don't use it, you lose it. Now I'm just kind of like Now if I can't hear it, I'm just effed. Yeah, right. <laughs> like there's no music being made if I cannot hear it. <laughs> That's probably better, you know. Yeah, except we can all die. Like, well, how fast I can tank it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, I do that all the time on like, um, like if it's like a jobbing gig or something and somebody wants to play a standard that I maybe knew, like probably knew. This is another thing that goes by out of my head really quickly. Maybe I knew it like, well, six months ago or a year ago or five years ago. Um. So I'll be like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And four bars in, just straight down, (laughs) you know, I've lost. Yeah, totally. This is my life. This is, I've got a gig tomorrow where I'm, this is how starved I am. I'm driving out to Peterborough to play standards, (laughs) which is great. They're my pals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on the other side of Toronto, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do. But it's not even I gotta. (laughs) Like, I want to. Yeah, you want to do what you want to do. I was practicing the other day. I was listening to this Lee Konitz record, Motion. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Just so slamming. Yeah, Elvin, right? Yeah, and Sunny Dallas. Yeah. And uh, the first track is... All of Me? Remember, uh, I Remember You. Yeah. So see what just happened there is also like... A sh- part of the huge problem so i started practicing and then i realized that like for who knows how long that i've thought i remember you beautiful love and alone together are kind of maybe all the same <laughs> you start playing and they're all the same song yeah yeah <laughs> yeah can you imagine like a a time where knowing standards like determined your hierarchy as much as it did like or not even your hierarchy but like you would not be able to 
you wouldn't be allowed to play gigs if you didn't know enough standards to play for an yeah. hour, two hours. Yeah. I would be sitting at home every single night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but also like there was a time when I could. Right. They just go away. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I guess the ones that I really, really know are always there. Yeah. But. Well, let's hope that people call those ones. Then. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But also like if I knew, I don't know. I bet if I, I don't know. It's a weird hypothetical. Go on. <laughs> uh, if like, if I knew more tunes and people knew that I knew tunes, maybe I would work more. Mm. But who's doing those where do those gigs exist besides weddings now? Yeah. Who's playing standards outside of weddings and the wrecks? Yeah. I guess that's a, that's a, that's a drastic, uh, over exaggeration, but it's not, I don't think it's that far off though. There are students that like to play standards and maybe yeah. play them at their gig at the Transac or like the, the, the cavern or something like they're, people that like to play standards maybe as a because it's what they're working on yeah but i don't think but like i still even work. at the rex i don't think people really play stand well what do i know yeah I guess, but but like i still work on them like yeah that's like primarily how i practice i remember did you ever uh, read like bass player magazine yeah. or those things um i remember i guess it must have been at the few years between when i played electric bass like and kind of i guess i always liked magazines so i would just buy magazines of whatever fad i was into at that time and so it was there but i didn't know anything about jazz at all but i remember they'd have like columns at the back and i think i'm pretty sure i, I wish i had these to look back but i think it was like trevor dunn was writing an article writing a series of articles for bass player magazine and if it's not trevor dunn then i it could be anyone, I guess, but it was uh, this metaphor of like, <laughs> which it doesn't, this still doesn't really work for me just in the, the way the metaphors put together, but the, the jazz is a gym that you work out in and then any other music you play is like a sport. So it's like you do your work on jazz so that you can play your sport better, like whatever kind of music you you know choose to play yeah. which at that time for me was like pop punk music so i didn't really <laughs> the analogy was like well i don't know <laughs> i don't see how learning this like uh this blues bass line is gonna yeah. help me play you want me to play a babop dom <laughs> yeah this yeah but like i mean i i i definitely see there's relevance it's a good there. connection yeah. right but it's the sports analogy anytime there's somebody who makes a analogy between sports and music i just I, I don't like it yeah jim vivian is a master of analogies but they're very often uh how should i put this <laughs> um it's fine no one's gonna hear this. yeah <laughs> so one of the ones he liked to use in uh the context of ear training was you see <laughs> This is this is like his his analogy for how to under understand a, or be able to identify a chord when you hear it. 
It's like the first time you look at this thing, this new thing you're seeing, it's like a white blob to you. And then as you spend more time looking at it, you see that it has feathers and that it has a beak and that it squawks. And then eventually you know that it's a seagull. But when you first look at it, it's it's nothing. But when you turn it on its side and look at it head on and look underneath it and get to know it, then you know that it's a seagull. That was kind of one of his. That's a good one. It's pretty good. It's I mean, He had to say it about five times for me to really stop just enjoying it as a piece of humor and you know it's not a complicated analogy but i him telling it really that's where my memory is 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 him making the analogy in class yeah you also have a jumping around like a crazy person uh you have a a monthly at the transact right yeah yeah we've been doing that maybe six six or seven months so um harry vetro this drummer this drummer, it's a, my friend, Harry Petro, <laughs> uh, took over for my other friends that moved to Montreal, Anthony Argatoff and Emily Dennison. They had a recurring monthly, you know, a, a monthly at the Transac, and uh, they moved to Montreal to live a better life and be happier. <laughs> and we got to inherit um, one aspect of the life that they wanted to leave behind. So, nice. yeah, I I mean, that one, I made a decision a few months ago that I would play that one every month. And so I could just book other people to play at Winona and actually have a, like, use that as a, I don't want to just have my own bands play there every month. Yeah. I'd like to make it so that people can do things there and try, yeah, try, you know, new bands or whatever and kind of a low pressure situation and. Um, but I wanted to play these monthlies at the Transac and I was do I was on it for a while. It was duos. I was going to do a year of duos. We did one. We did a year of the second, second one. Second one. Yeah. Um, so it's been that except the last few months have been derailed. I, I was supposed to play with Glenn Hall duo and that was the night of one of these big snowstorms we had. So I just played solo and then last month my friend logan was coming through uh from montreal so i allowed him to break the seal and play trio we played with this cellist named emily gerard chalet from montreal which logan mills boban yes also another edmonton Um, or area uh, yeah you could say greater edmonton area if that were a thing yeah i didn't realize he lived in montreal now well, until the end of this month, he will, yeah. He's moving back to Kalmar, um, which is, I guess, about... It's by the Edmonton Airport, sort of. It's Edmonton Air, 30, 35 minutes, probably, from Edmonton, the the perimeter. Hmm. But yeah, he's he was in Montreal for about a year, year and a half, or something like that. But he decided to go cowboy it up for a while back in Alberta, so... Sweet. Anyway, he was here, and we did a played trio but i'm getting back on the duo kick yeah. i'm gonna finish off a year doing duos and then we'll see where that goes yeah man duo is so fun yeah i think it's been I've, I've already learned a lot i feel like there's i could do it you know 
possibly forever just doing duos yeah because it really caught it forces you to generate a lot of music <laughs> you can't really rely except in very very specific pairings i don't think you can bounce things back and forth in a way that's like efficient enough to sustain a performance i think there's at least in my experience i have to i have to put a lot more out than than i would in a a trio yeah and there's also it it has the challenge of so is information's coming at you as well so i actually find it more challenging than playing solo because playing solo i can just follow just yeah. kind of lead, lead myself wherever I want to go with technical limitations notwithstanding yeah. or whatever. But like, but. I know what you mean. Like there's a certain extent of like if there's if there's a moment that you are stuck and you have to like phone it in for lack of a better mm-hmm, word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until you find something else. Yeah. But with a duo it's I sort guess of you could also it seems know. more obvious to me, like as a listener at least, yeah. that if, if one person in a duo is treading water excessively. Yeah, I shouldn't uh, play duo anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I, uh, it's a whole other thing. And I'm, I'm realizing that like, I've gone through, I've gone this far and so, well, only gone however many years I've been playing, but I've always had like a very specific thing in mind mm-hmm. and I'm focused. Like I just, there's always been like a couple things that I really want to do. That's kind of all I care about. Yeah. And then recently, maybe even more so since I've been back in town, but like I just want to do everything. Right. I just want all I want to do is play. Like yeah. Whatever scenario, just put, like plug me in. Yeah. Put me in coach. Just want to be part of the team want to play yeah that's a good way to be it well i'm depending on for so long i, ha- I wasn't yeah it's like you want me to what <laughs> <Get> <laughs> like <laughs> well i guess in i don't know it's well there's this idea of like the new york bass player that maybe we talked about this maybe i just made this up but we definitely didn't talk about it on the podcast <laughs> there's a the really versatile bass player that actually knows what chord symbols mean and also can (laughs) you know play free i can play chord (laughs) symbols yeah maybe knows the i this is not this is not a dig at you (laughs) dig at myself um you know this highly versatile player but i think that there maybe that's just a thing about bass in general as you get to do a lot of things and in you know people's interests are varied and they often want the bass the bass to be involved so it leads to a lot of cool opportunities to say like you know whereas if you were a tenor sax player or something i feel like you uh, see i'm thinking contradictions of this already but you know you might be more more likely to say i i just play improv i only improvise yeah or i play in a brass band yeah and i like to take solos where i do backflips at the end (laughs) (laughs) you might say it somebody might say that i do backflips and just like obviously there's uh many 
this is an untrue generalization, but basically every band has a bass player. No matter what you're doing, yeah, there's almost yeah. always a bass player. Mm-hmm. There's so many great bands without bass players, though, and I love them. How, how many? Not that many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. So you were you were willingly you were choosing to not fit that to not play in a variety of circumstances. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, it wasn't like uh coming from a place of like that's beneath me mm-hmm. like i never felt that way but it was always like oh that's not what i'm interested in right now so i don't want to yeah put that in my head even or something mm-hmm. but it was never like a you want me to what like all music is created equal as far as i'm concerned yeah. like i still listen to i'll say it on record I'll say right into this microphone right now. Blink-182 is still the best band to ever make music. Have you heard their newest album, California? Blink-182 is still not <laughs> the best band. <laughs> the oh, well, this is time. funny. I remember when I, that article in that bass player magazine, maybe like a few years after I read it, reading it again and thinking, okay, I can, and then maybe at that point I already, I was starting to learn about playing jazz or something. I'd heard Jocko was like starting to understand maybe a little bit more and was like, okay, I can, and at that point what it meant to me was I'll work on jazz music so that I can play pop punk better. (laughs) I think I literally had this thought. It's like, this will help me. I, I will learn all this stuff and then I'll just play in a pop punk band. Which may still, that might, maybe that is, I sometimes feel like everything in my life is heading towards that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how many, there are at least a couple of songs on that new Blink record without Tom. Yeah. That I still think are like, the whole thing's a chorus. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chorus well, to start to, you know? Yeah, but, Mark always wrote, you know, songs on those albums. Like, of course there's going to be. I yeah. guess there's no guarantee because it had been a long time. Yeah. And and some of those side projects were plus 44 and things like that were a little bit cringy. But yeah. Uh, but Boxcar yeah. Racer. Though. Boxcar Racer. That what was a record. Yeah. I have that CD. That's somewhere. in my car. Still, <laughs> I listened to that on the was way it Tim here. Tim Armstrong. Yeah. Tim Armstrong and Travis. And someone else. Is that another like pop punk royalty? Did Matt Freeman play bass or something too? I can't remember. I, can't. I don't know that. See, back to the beginning. Like we're already forgetting who's on what record. Um, but I guess that uh, that New York bass player thing. Maybe that's where I learned that that was like cool to do everything, hmm. or it could be cool to do everything. Because when I first moved to New York, I was in a. I had a class with a vocalist. And she asked me to do a couple brunch gigs with her right as soon as I moved there, like within like a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, <laughs> I wasn't like, probably a good move. I wasn't, like, <laughs> but I wasn't like, no, yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. It was like, that's not why I'm here right. at the moment. Yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for people that choose to, specialize i think it's becoming more rare to meet especially 
right? With improvisers. How many people do you know that didn't come to free improvising from jazz? Yeah, almost none. Or that don't also play some kind of jazz or pop music, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I guess we can, this is kind of an argument that could be made all day or like you can, you could fight this one till we all die, but like, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like one doesn't happen without the other. Of as course. As I'm, so like, I think it makes sense that we end up here. But yeah. it's, it is unusual. You know, I guess, like, I mean that there are people who, um, you know, if you took, like, a any dude in a band, it's in a metal band or something, yeah. they probably just play in that band or maybe in a couple projects that are similar. So, again, we're getting to, like, a. I mean, I'm generalizing here. <laughs> but this... <laughs> It's not like I I don't think it's super common for someone who has like a, a strong artistic direction in something maybe like extreme metal just to draw a parallel here somebody who making sort of commercially unviable music could you imagine somebody doing that full time working all their energy on this band also playing acoustic gigs at like a coffee shop and focusing equally on that in the way that somebody here might present as like an improviser, but also do any other gig that they were offered yeah that's yeah for sure that's interesting i don't know if i really drew a great path there but i I know i know i know what you mean though that if you're a jazz musician you are very much a freelance person yeah or an improviser or like but like this is kind of the i feel like it's extremely common for people to wear all these hats and also teach yeah. and, and try and be like making a lot of money through teaching music. Yeah. I've never done that. No. It's one of those things like, like one day I might wake up how I've just been like, I want to play everything. And one day I might just wake up. I want to teach. Yeah. But like that's been a, a very, uh, I mean, the way I see it, there are, it's not really something I want to do and there are far more lucrative things to that I don't want to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah, as a as a pure purely as a money making yeah. part of your life, it's it's very inefficient. But also there's just not enough just like gigs, it's a gig and there's not enough gigs for how many people trying to get them so it's like you know teach i've worked at a nightclub for two years desperately wanting to teach it it took me that long to find a place that was good enough like for 
worth i guess was worth i felt like quitting my other job <laughs> it was worth not doing manual labor 10 hours a day to make the same amount of money yeah you know, it's a lot of because kids don't want to learn how to play guitar they yeah. certainly don't want to learn how to play upright bass but it's like and, and they are way smarter than us <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i learned that every day yeah it's like it's a crazy thing like for the amount of joy that it brings me and how it makes my life so much better and it has introduced me to all of my great relationships and everything else that's good in my life like i i was born into a very loving and supportive family but aside from that basically everything good has come from music and the bass yeah and i still don't want to carry that thing around like <laughs> it's yeah it gets dark sometimes yeah but like well kids these days seem uh, they just seem more f at peace with the world than i ever was at that age a lot of students i have they don't need to put themselves like completely into music or anything because they're balanced they're they know that they can well i mean like for example like one of my best like uh best like the student i have that practices consistently and really loves music she has no interest in pursuing it as anything other than guitar lessons she's like 16 wants to be a doctor you know has like other plans but Get if i had life loser <laughs> if i had half as much you know focus and natural talent as she did at 16 i would have been way further ahead than i was yeah. you know but if she doesn't need that she doesn't need to, to put the blinders on in the same way i guess and i i don't know i i had a pretty you know love i have a loving family same sort of thing like i i didn't need reassurance i don't think to come from music or anything like that but but she has something in her and a lot of these kids i teach i get this impression that they can healthily enjoy music as a hobby and, and don't need to <laughs> fixate on it like and I, I think it's something about you know kids these days maybe it's the parents i don't know what it is but maybe it's the fact that i teach in the annex neighborhood in toronto and people in that neighborhood are happier <laughs> i don't, yeah, know. You, I don't you know. know yeah it's a weird one like how so many of so many people that I like kind of grew up playing with don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of like, how can you not like it? Yeah. Well, depends, I guess on, I mean, yeah, it depends on everything, but like, we have a lot tied up in it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I get the feeling this is what people like, like after uh communism collapsed in the ussr some of you were like you're gonna miss this <laughs> like <laughs> and then 10 years down the line they're like oh thank god like thank you know <laughs> yeah jeez yeah we kind of have it's like yeah music's worth it 
grinning, <laughs> smiling, nodding. Like, yeah, music is worth... How could you do anything else? <laughs> I can't imagine doing anything else. But, like, I knew... I, I, I had all the information. I had all the clues. Like, yeah, I knew that the building was burning before I ran in, <laughs> and nothing stopped me. Yeah, well, good for you. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know anything. I had no model for what playing music and focusing on that was gonna be like. I thought I'd be I'd be in Blink One Eighty Two by now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I guess I kind of sort of had. Yeah. If I'm honest, the career trajectory is like, we're many years behind schedule, <laughs> but like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I started playing like around the time that Napster happened. Yeah. Yeah. And people were like fighting the internet yeah. already. And I was like, oh, this is a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah. That's well, what I'm going to do with my life. I, t- I really didn't see it coming. <laughs> what do i mean fuck i'm i yeah. not that old or young you know but i didn't i just i guess i still don't really care I'll, like yeah because i guess yeah since i've been i've been illegally downloading music almost my entire life two-thirds of my life at this point i was i remember getting napster I remember downloading the rude sandstorm <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's the first song I downloaded. And uh, it would be so hypocritical of me to complain about the the album, the, the world of music downloading, killing album sales and things like that and not standing a chance. I can't even... Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. And people five years younger than us, this is the thing, I, people that have... Uh, I guess maybe a more proactive worldview or something. They don't know anything except streaming, but they make it actually work for them. They, you know, they think, okay, well, yeah, of course. Why would I think about making a CD or something? They're not, not weighing the options and then bemoaning how it's not worthwhile to make CDs anymore. They're just putting their shit on Spotify and promoting the shit out of it. And, probably getting paid to do so i don't know yeah yeah it's a weird it's a weird place that we're in but it's also exciting like i should give you a tape by the way i got a pile of tapes over there oh i have one oh, okay emily gave me one yeah okay yeah. see that's the real as opposed to selling an album now it's who can give away the album first <laughs> here, here you throw this out <laughs> oh <me>. yeah <laughs> Oh uh, damn! <laughs> uh, I'm I'm super down with tapes. Yeah, of course. They're... It's like it's totally not. Uh, it's maybe not the best sounding thing. There's definitely it's definitely like certainly not. I guess it depends what you think is the best or what. It's a very it's a very unique listening experience, and you put on a tape. It's like a, it's it like. It's kind of like that put on a record thing like yeah 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 if you put on a record like i'm putting on that record and i'm listening to that record and mm-hmm. if you talk, try to talk to me while that record's on like <laughs> we're gonna have a problem right is that how people feel about records is that why they're popular people well, trying to get it's just a solace <laughs> it's just like a whole other experience like if yeah. i'm listening on 
if I'm listening to like something in my iTunes, pause, start, skip around to other yeah, things. Yeah, no, for sure. Fuck one around. One to the next. But if like putting on one thing and like physically putting something on and like the thing of not having track markers. Yeah. It's like a very, uh, it's a very unique experience that I kind of, it's growing on me. But that's only because you can't, you can't skip a song. I mean, like I would love to fuck around with the tape and skip and then turn it off or whatever but it's like it's just not as easy to ignore the music i feel like i'm trying to ignore the music that's playing by all means necessary <laughs> flipping between tabs on my browser oh that looks interesting listen to 10 seconds pause it do you open something else and i'm sure yeah. if i could do that with a tape i would but I, yeah i can't so yeah i guess so maybe but like also i have I have your tape in my iTunes right. split up in tracks. Yeah. 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 And that's cool just to like kind of see, especially as like how that record is. Like, yeah, I, I don't even like, know anything about it. Like, is it all improv or? Yeah. Like, everything. So yeah. especially listening to an improv tape and you don't know where things start and finish. Yeah. It's really cool to look and see where it all fastens together or whatever. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to identify the each track anymore, probably, on the tape. Yeah. Right. What's it called? Do it? Doit? Doit. 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 It's called Labor of Luck. Yeah. Um, Duo with the mighty Emily Dennison. Emily Dennison. As we spoke Living a far better life now, 600 kilometers away. She's coming, She's back and forth every now and then. but She's a beast. Yeah. That's a, a very unique voice. And there's mm. a there's a hole in the community now yeah i would say so but yeah also there are so many great musicians here yeah it's trumpet exciting. players especially yeah beasts mm -hmm. although i guess lena is like sort of a part-time resident now but yeah rebecca hennessy nicole rampersad recently moved away i don't know if you were i feel um, like she moved away right when you moved here but she's her. like she's a killer yeah rebecca is a beast yeah. kaylin murphy kaylin murphy that's right yeah it's a good town it's a place for people to i don't know if it always attracted people but i think most people that live here are not from here they found toronto as a place and kind of settled and developed yeah. this definitely to be fair i wasn't super involved with the toronto community i still am i'm still not like i've only been back for like five or six months or something and i'm still meeting people that i never even heard of that i'm like how did i not know you before kind yeah of thing. well but like yeah as someone who was who was always paying attention i feel like even though from even from a distance i, I was always trying to like check out who was playing where and who was playing with who mm -hmm. just because i i find it interesting or whatever and i'm a nerd especially as a young person um but i definitely feel like there's way more young people that are just crushing now than when I left. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that's, uh, I think you're probably uh, yeah. right. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's always been an ebb and a flow with just who's at universities at certain times. This is the same thing. Like you kind of know where to look, I guess, to find like who's going to do something cool. Cause it's like, yeah. they're either going to come from university or, maybe move here without going to university <laughs> right yeah it's, it's all sort of 
So, having a good music program or a couple good music programs is like definitely how the community gets strong, I guess. Yeah, we're we're at a nice moment right now where there's also still like quite a few places to play and and more places springing up. Yeah, yeah. Like this Winona thing. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a nice. It's a good moment that I think. The one thing I think Toronto could maybe do a little better is documenting with albums there are tons and tons of bands that will spring up and do like one or two shows that you'll see at the transac or maybe a ray or something like that these one-off things that kind of just disappear except for maybe being bootlegged and the amount of stuff that should be on record that isn't is sort of like there's just a lot of it you know yeah. part of it is like I agree with you and I think a large part of the problem is that we've been we've kind of been brainwashed into like playing the game sort of there's not a lot of people making records without grants yeah and being able to afford a publicist kind of thing mm. like, it's almost like you wait to make a record until you can afford that whole process yeah yeah or until you can till the government will give you money to do it. Right. Because I don't, yeah. Some people, I guess, are just doing it. There are people, but you're right. It's like, it's far more common to apply for funding for some project and and wait and then wait and then do it. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I recorded, I realized how it just doesn't have to be perfect. I don't know. Like, taking pride in your work and trying to make it the best you can make it is like absolutely one of the things, but like just realizing how simply you can make something that sounds not upsetting to your ears. (laughs) Yeah. In relation to how many people are going to listen to it, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's not just, just, we're not making enough records. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. But it's also, I think, being in a studio is a little bit daunting or something. Like, just Mm -hmm. the idea of even dragging your stuff there and then possibly making something that you don't like (laughs) and just sort of, oh, well, it'd just be easier to play, play a gig and, let the music happen that way but yeah we have like an oral record i feel like in toronto we have like the oral record of people who are at shows and saw things and we have like a a, for lack of a better word like a bootlegging kind of thing multiple people that record shows and things that can be heard that way joe strutt for for example call back um but yeah we don't have a this is not totally true in every scene because I mean that rack uh, that shelf is filled with well-made records from like Andrew Downing and Lena and Nick Brazer and Justin Haynes and like tons of barnyard records that were all you know everybody was compensated well the records got made with there was proper artwork and layout and so it's not entirely true that we're just on that sense, on that note, that first Nick Fraser record with the Justin, owls and owls in daylight is yeah, that what it's called? Yeah, with Justin and Quinson. Yeah, right. 
is out of control and everyone turn this off <laughs> if you're listening to this turn this off and put that on yeah there, i think uh last time i saw or one of the last times i saw nick he was giving those away at a show or something he was playing and he i think he's he's the master of going around with the hat and one of his things yeah. is if you I, have ten dollars you get a cd or whatever but he was saying he's going to get stickers that say 20th anniversary and put them on that record because it's fucking 20 years old. That's crazy. Yeah. It still sounds like the future. Pretty fresh. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's it. some good, I, when after like, uh, you know, the day Justin, the news about Justin came up, my friend Max came over and we pulled out all these records, the early Jean Martin trio stuff and a couple, there's a Justin record in there called, uh, it's only, it's only life, I think. Um, one of these barnyard records with like, you know, just this great aesthetic, amazing music, really well recorded, kind of like a, you know, a cast of the best Toronto musicians. Yeah, it's just this amazing document, actually. So maybe I, maybe I, I hold those things very high up, but maybe, maybe we don't. Not every record is going to be like that, you know, too. Yeah. So I guess there's a certain, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, they're so important. And I think that like, we don't totally realize, uh, maybe how, like how fast life moves and just like the fact that, I mean, I, I never met Justin but mm-hmm. I've listened to him quite a bit. And the fact that uh, those records exist right. is like, like what? Yeah, if they didn't. Like what would we have? If he didn't have 40 we? albums on Bandcamp. Yeah. Yeah. Like obviously it's not even like, it doesn't even compare to like, the relationships he had and like being a human and existing and all this, these things, but for the, like the outsiders of that. Yeah. The fact that there's documentation of that work is like, yeah, so important and none of us are doing it enough. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's totally true. You're starting up a, I don't know what word to use a thing with Peter Goff. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of recorded, recorded music. Um, yeah, there's some, there's like the first tapes kind of in the works right now. Um, Peter is just like a total tape freak. So I wanted to, I wanted, I knew I wanted to put out some recordings of that I had and also that I knew other people had sitting around. Um, and I thought it would, you know, it would, should be a tape thing and, so I was just talking to him one day and I said, you know, we should do this together because he really, he's really tapped into, he, I think he really sees tapes as like beautiful pieces of art and has, you know, an eye on what the potential is for them as physical items and, and kind of the larger, the, the things they can be aside from a little piece of plastic with music on it. So I couldn't think of anyone else to work with on this. Yeah, we're really excited. I mean, he's... Have, do you have a, a name for it yet? 
Uh, the label is called Dark Matter. Uh, I think there's a Facebook page you could follow. Dark Matter. I think it's records, something like that. You know, nice. cassettes maybe. Yeah, tapes. I'll link to I'll link to it in Good. the in the thinger here. Yeah. I don't know where you're going to be listening to this, <laughs> but there will be a link. <laughs> yeah, this you must be you're listening to it on something. Uh, I, I think I'm going to get into video one day. Yeah. But uh, I really have to go to the bathroom. All right, do it. Yeah, must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day. Edmonton Symphony just was posted an audition too. Fourth chair. Fourth uh, fourth chair. Fourth, or what are they? I don't even know if the, these chairs. Fourth <laughs> fourth base player. Fourth stool. <laughs> fourth stool. I don't know, man. But the yeah, the prairie uh prairie symphony, there's a career path. It's interesting. It's not something that I've put any time into. Uh-huh. But I think that maybe it's one of those things that I think maybe if I put time into it, I would enjoy it. Maybe. I don't know. I played Did in a section once. Really? The something when they were desperate. So I got to play in that and it was, it was, it wasn't like their main thing. It was, it, it was as someone who had never done it before. It was, an, it was it, classical enough. It was, uh, it was hard. But it wasn't like ruining my life art. Right. I can't remember what we played, like Romeo and Juliet and like the ninth. It's the one. Uh, Beethoven's ninth <laughs> symphony? That's the one. Yeah. Da, 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 da. That oh, one. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that the ninth? I don't know. <laughs> you have a. Did you get a new bass recently? You have like, uh, you're playing a king? I have a king more tone. I think I had the most tone for the dollars. So. Uh, you. Did you have another one recently or something? I had a couple come me? in and um, bases seem to find their way to me or something. So I, I had a base here that a guy was selling that I was I really liked having around, but I didn't want to buy it. So he asked me if I could just keep it here to show people if like anybody, like if, you know, if you were here, hmm. show them, show you the base. And then if anybody was looking for a base, they would come see it. And I ended up delivering the base for him. Somebody in New York bought it and I delivered the base to Ithaca and gave it to this really nice, like, I think he's a classical bass player. Um, dude, but that was like a crazy old, like a 1850s, base made from in austria or something like that it was huh. a really nice base yeah but i'm kind of i'm pretty into it i'm i really enjoy like learning about <laughs> bases yeah. you know how they're made what their characteristics and looking at pictures online and stuff it's kind of become like a it's like my hobby or something i spend my free time learning about bases yeah i've been Unactively looking for a new bass for like, for years. Yeah, probably six or seven years. It's a, yeah. I feel like there's two kinds of people, two kinds of like people in that regard. That there's people who I think quickly figure out what they want, or maybe find that what they want, find what they want when they play something, and then they just buy that bass and are happy with it. 
And then there's people that hem and haw for years and aren't really sure. And I'm definitely one of those. Like the, It's like the more instruments I play, the less defined, the less I see a seagull, it's like just getting grayer and <laughs> <laughs> I can barely tell that it has a beak. Yeah. I know exactly what I want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not exactly what I want. I know the one thing that I care about the most. Which is? And that is uh, the ability to play unamplified. Oh, uh, yeah. That's super important to me. Being like, it's still just like that part of the tradition mm-hmm. is like something that I uh, respect very much. And uh, I kind of have that right now. I've just got a ginormous plywood base um, in Brooklyn that I kind of can't wait to get my hands back on. But it's like, sure, you can get like a a nice dialed-in plywood that was made a long time ago, like a vintage piece of wood. Right. Or many vintage pieces of wood glued, glued together. together. <laughs> but like, mine is kind of a, like... I don't know how long it's going to last. It's that kind of plywood. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a very, it's a student it's model. It's glossy. Yeah. Yeah. But you put like with guts on it. Most of the playing that I did in New York, uh, I wouldn't bring an amp. Yeah. So like if I showed up and there was an amp at the, at the venue or wherever, great. But if not, like I could hang yeah and uh i'd be sore the next day yeah because it's not it wasn't like a regular thing like muscle would hurt but i just think that's like i don't know it's like for whatever reason maybe i'm an idiot maybe i'm a meathead (laughs) you're jock you're you're a gut jock jock. (laughs) but like that's like i don't know yeah no i i understand what you mean there's like uh this is another thing like some people i guess are uh, you can get such a good amp sound nowadays that it sounds like you're not playing through an amp you yeah, know that's like true also. and some people have chose to put their attention into getting that sound yeah um which is also so great like when someone's got it right yeah and you can hear them play properly. Like, there's obviously different perks to all the different scenarios. But yeah. But yeah, playing on Amplify is great. Um, I play in situations, though, where I don't... Even if my bass was 11 feet tall, I don't think it would be heard. Like, there's just some frequencies totally. to get, like, swallowed up, yeah. you know? It's kind of interesting. Definitely. That how, how on those old recordings is, like... How is the bass so clear even through like a cymbal or like, uh, you know, like the ride cymbals going the entire time, but you can still hear like the pitch of every note? Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever played a, a gig unamplified loud with a microphone? With a microphone? Like no amp, but microphone into the PA. Oh, um not like a loud gig i've done that at the amit ray before right um and usually i'm pretty disappointed actually (laughs) i have a hard time with microphones i can't maybe i just haven't used a good one before 
Yeah, I don't know. I think that like, unless it's like an outrageous situation, a microphone is works like surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's. But. Um, that being said, like, not me doing it myself. Like, if there's like a stage and a sound person. Uh huh. And yeah. You know, and there's like someone who like kind of knows what they're doing. Yeah. Not even a professional. Just like <laughs> someone who knows more Somebody than Somebody plugged the microphone into the cable and then <laughs> But like I think it's it's surprising how uh I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things like making a record. We think we have to have these like highfalutin modern Yeah. I don't know. I I was really I think what I've been realizing the most about even with a plywood pace is weather conditions and just the general conditions the bass is in impact the sound a lot like the this bass i was kind of fed up with it for a while and then i just got kind of drier i guess got super dry and suddenly bass sounded like wood like really woody and great yeah. and i used like a i played at the rex last week and like a bass player complimented me and was like your bass sounds amazing and it's with this crappy realist that i've had the only pickup i've ever had on this plywood bass that a week ago i don't think would have sounded so good but it's like yeah. a factor totally out of my control like even if i'd i don't think it would have sounded any better if i'd put a microphone on it yeah or whatever it was Weird. just the the instrument kind of came to life and it's in a good spot right now but i don't know if it's gonna last you know yeah kind of yeah it's an, i've had a similar but opposite experience my playing with like my plywood checkies yeah and uh the dryness like totally killed it yeah and i got a humidifier i mean more than the part the ones that you put in the base in the bit you got an apartment like one a, yeah like a room humidifier and it's like it's roaring like i kind of forgot how great these things can be yeah yeah the plywood bases tend to i think it's more common to get a really loud plywood base and the sound i guess it's what they say but it's like it's more direct like i have spiral cores on that plywood base so it's probably as bright as it could ever be yeah and there's still not a lot of it's just still like a thud you know yeah. but it's like a loud thud yeah. <laughs> it's there's not a lot of there's no color to the sound but it's like it's very present very loud yeah i'm man i'm such a sucker for plywood yeah ply or die yeah man i'm gonna get that tattooed on me <laughs> i was at long and mcquade in winnipeg manitoba <laughs> last week and i walked into a long and mcquade and i just started playing this like dumpster bass with strings on it that i didn't even recognize <laughs> they looked old like everything was bashed up and they started like thumping along <laughs> and i and it sounded so beautiful to me yeah and i was like what am i why don't i have this yeah well you should buy that keep it in winnipeg for your symphony audition <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe but like just th like i don't know you don't garbage is fine too <laughs> Yeah. This is the point of this whole podcast. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. <laughs> One person's garbage is another person's... Uh, um, should we uh, Should we wrap it yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. 
Thanks for having me, man. Uh, thank you for having me.